The reality is mental health is something that we have for our entire life. It's an integral part of being a human being and far from being a set of problems, it's actually fundamentally the best thing about being a human being. It's our ability to think and be creative and problem solve and feel all the emotions that we feel. Welcome to Joy at Work. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman at Carney. This season on Joy at Work, we'll talk to people who are driving innovation using joy as their fuel and their foundation. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Nick Taylor. Nick is co-founder and CEO at Unmind, a workplace mental health platform that aims to help people measure, understand, and improve their mental health. Nick is a clinical psychologist and entrepreneur who is passionate about making mental health care more proactive and more accessible. He's joining me today to talk about how we can rethink the status quo work cultures to create an even better and more joyful way to work. Well, first, a hearty welcome to you, Nick. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today, Alex, and thank you for having me on. Our listeners really want to pivot towards this topic of mental health at work. There's a lot of conversation these days about it, but I guess the question is, are we focusing on the right aspects of mental health to really move this needle? What are we missing? It's a really good question. I think the topic generally has been through quite a transformational period. And it's wonderful that we're talking about it in the way that we are. It's so much more commonly spoken about today than it was, say, five years ago or 10 years or whatever. I mean, it's really a topic now that's at the heart of the modern workplace. I think what we're often missing is the recognition that mental health is so much more than mental health problems, which is where the majority of focus historically goes for the topic. The reality is mental health is something that we have for our entire life, from the moment we're born to the moment we die. It's an integral part of being a human being. And far from being a set of problems, it's actually fundamentally the best thing about being a human being. It's our ability to think and be creative and problem solve and feel all the emotions that we feel. It's linked to our brain, which is, to my knowledge, the most wonderful thing in the universe known to humankind. And I think we need to move away from a stigmatized position around mental health to a celebratory position around mental health. It's also just recognizing it as a core pillar or foundation of the human experience. In the same way that we have physical health or dental health, we have mental health. It's just one of the pillars of our of our existence. There's a lot to explore in there. We as a species are gifted the best brain in the animal kingdom. That's a great privilege. Well, you mentioned the conversation around mental health and its awareness has dramatically raised in profile over the last few years. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Did we have this before COVID, for example? The short answer is yes, we did. The prevalence of mental illness is much too high. When you look in different societies, there will be slightly different stats that are shown. It could be one in five people will have a clinical problem. It could be one in four, one in six, depending on where you're looking. But the commonality is that the prevalence of mental illness is high. And therefore, it's been a topic that has been spoken about for some time, but often a topic that's been spoken about with quite a degree of caution and fear for the stigma around it. What we've seen over COVID it though is a transformation of sorts because we've seen two trends that have enabled that. The first is that the prevalence of mental illness has increased so the problems got bigger but also people got better during COVID 
as a general rule of asking one another how we are. We asked it and we meant it. And we started understanding that actually this distinction between a home life and a work life was false. And that we actually are all individuals with complex lives that we navigate on a day-to-day basis. And we made time to check in with one another and to hear the human, to experience the whole person. And I think that's helped lift the stigma around mental illness. We almost develop more compassion towards one another and a greater recognition of the different facets of our lives and how they can impact on our well-being in any time. But Nick, hasn't the severity of mental health issues increased over this period of time, given all the pressures around the world, not just inflation and war and COVID and supply chains all happening at once, but has the severity of the mental health problems at work and for individuals changed also? At work, it's interesting and important to remember that the prevalence of mental illness is the leading cause of workplace absence, presenteeism, so turning up to work but not being present, and staff turnover. So the economic cost is really significant. I mean, the the estimated annual cost in lost productivity in the workplace as a result of mental illness is $1 trillion, which puts it into perspective. It's helpful to have a couple of frameworks to think about mental health and what do we mean by mental health. The first is what's called the biopsychosocial model. And really what that talks about is how our mental health is made up of biological parts of our life, our physical health, our sleep, our nutrition, etc. It's made up of psychological parts of our life, our core beliefs about how we see the world, our personalities, how we think about the world around us, and then made up of social parts of our life. So our finances, our social network, our friends, our family, our home life. And it's the combination of those things that uniquely informs our mental health state. The other really important theory to kind of model to use to think about mental health is what's called the dual continuum model. So this moves us away from thinking about mental health as either something you have with a problem or isn't a topic towards a place where we're recognizing mental health as something we all have all of the time. So you have two spectrums. One is no mental illness to mental illness. The other is low positive mental well-being. The other is high positive mental well-being. And what that gives us is essentially four quadrants of people. And one is that you have symptoms of a mental health problem, but you are content. One is that you have a mental health problem and you are struggling. One is that you have no signs of a mental illness, but you are languishing. And one is that you're flourishing. And what's really interesting about thinking about that is that firstly, it helps to destigmatize the topic because it helps people to understand that you can actually have a mental illness and be content and be living a productive life. Equally, it can help us understand that you can be languishing or really struggling, but not have a mental illness. And mental illnesses are essentially categorized by the presence of symptoms. So if you have enough symptoms of a mental illness, you'll reach the threshold for a diagnosis. But what doesn't happen is that you don't go to bed on Monday night with no symptoms of a mental illness and wake up on Tuesday morning with clinical depression. It happens over time. And that spectrum model and that whole personal biopsychosocial model really help us understand how our lives are complex. And over time, we can get one symptom. It might be I'm not sleeping well. That can then lead to another symptom, which is, you know, I'm disengaging from my activities and my social activities or my workplace. And slowly over time, you can build those symptoms up to the point you reach a threshold for diagnosis. And what's really important about understanding all of this together is that we can be much more proactive in how we're approaching our mental health. We shouldn't wait to be unwell enough to require a diagnosis. We can actually be more proactive in managing our mental health in a more preventative way. That resonates a lot. I want to come to your notion about flourishing because that links very much to our topic of joy at work. You are interested in your words in how people are flourishing. Can you describe that a little bit more, Nick? I think joy is a wonderful word and I think it really encapsulates so much of the aspiration we have as human beings and how we want our life to feel. So I love it from a descriptive perspective. When we talk about flourishing, we're really referring to positive mental health. So it's comprised of emotional well-being, psychological well-being and social
social well-being. So it's really recognizing the kind of the span of life that we have and how we can ultimately have a positive state in those three areas. And that leads us to flourishing. We believe very much if you can't measure something, you can't manage it. And we should continually be measuring and checking in on our mental health. But how we feel continually changes and evolves, doesn't it? You can go from feeling really happy to really sad, depending on what's going on around you. And I certainly in my life can feel moments where I feel like I'm flourishing and will notice that. And there's probably plenty of times when I'm flourishing I don't notice it as well that's why I think it's so important to check in because we have quite a natural predisposition to a negativity bias we notice things that are negative more easily than we notice things that are positive so practicing gratitude noticing those positive feelings is so valuable that's interesting and what we do is also try to measure in very simple questions in a regular basis with our global population do you feel engaged do you feel fulfilled do you feel connected do you feel like you belong as a kind of a surrogate to you know are you flourishing or are you having joy and engagement at work. I love that angle that you said humans are masters at hiding who they really are or how they really feel. And that kind of maybe gets in the way of understanding how you really are and what your mind is really feeling. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times someone's found out I'm a clinical psychologist and they kind of take a step back as though I'm just <laughs> going to be able to mind read what's going on. And I, I wish I had those Jedi powers, but, but sadly, uh, it doesn't quite work like that. Well, everyone has a superpower. How do you see the workplace leaders evolving around this topic? Do you see a tidal wave? Do you see a slow progression? A lot of people opening their eyes. Do you see change happening in the workforce leadership? The world of work has transformed in a way that few of us could ever have predicted as a result of COVID with the hybrid work, with the impact that technology and innovation has had on facilitating more flexible working ways. And I think the expectations of the workforce have fundamentally changed. In the last year, we've seen junior grads at some of the top banks complaining about their working environments. That's unimaginable 10 years ago. We've seen graduates coming out and saying, actually, I'll take a smaller paycheck because what matters to me more is that my workplace cares is that I'm working in an environment where my well-being is going to be prioritized. We all intuitively know that if our people are our most valuable assets and therefore if we want to thrive as a business, we need our people to thrive. And therefore, I think organizations are investing because they see the evidence and they're investing because they know that's what their people want. And they're investing because they see the opportunity for their business. You talk about superpowers, like I think that's key is enabling people to bring their strengths to work, making sure that we're maximizing people's great superpowers, making sure sure that people feel that what they're doing matters and is contributing to a purpose and critically and I know so much has been spoken about here that we're ensuring that our workforces are diverse places and are inclusive places and then to the, my earlier point about how the world of work has transformed I think enabling people to have that work-life integration which is so critical in the modern world. Those are great themes. You, you mentioned trust, belonging as markers for people to feel that this is diverse and inclusive place, one where you can bring your authentic self individuality. One of the initiatives that we launched was what we called This Is Me. So we had people representing various parts of the spectrum that you talked about earlier, talking about how they got to where they are, some of the challenges and optimism that they were able to develop and overcome. And that liberated a lot of folks to really believe and trust that you could be yourself. And sharing it is fine. In fact, sharing is therapeutic. 
I really love that word liberation. That feels what a really good description for what is happening in the world of mental health. We are liberating ourselves from a world where it was too difficult to talk about how we felt, too difficult to reflect on where we were in our state of flourishing. We've talked for years at Unmind about how it's interesting that we all wake up in the morning and we brush our teeth for two minutes and then we go to bed and we brush our teeth for two minutes and around the world we're really very good at brushing our teeth because we recognize the value of proactive dental health care. But with our mental health we don't take such a process or systematic approach which is odd because actually we know healthy habits are critical to flourishing to healthy lives and when it comes to our mental health we must put the time in we must learn about our mental health we must learn about how to have positive relationships we must learn about how to create psychologically safe environments where people can speak openly we must learn to listen well we must learn to manage well and that's so much about what proactive mental health care is really about I guess leaders can set the tone on that as well. In some of the other podcasts, I've mentioned uh, my notion of the unmasking of the CEO. We went through a period of time where even CEOs at all aspects on a computer were in all parts of the world had to just sort of cope. They all were going through the same challenges. They all needed to find out how to divert themselves, stay physically healthy as well as mentally healthy. And that simple unmasking and revealing your own life and the challenges you're going through allowed people, to use the term we just talked about, liberating. It made it okay to be not okay. It's so true. It's a challenge though, isn't it, as a leader, to know when is the right time to show vulnerability and when is the right time to try and mobilize and energize. And for me, if I reflect in my, on my own life, it's a continual journey of learning about that balancing act. I think there's a balance act between normalizing and sharing how you're feeling, what's going on with you and knowing how to support your team and keep people focused on the direction you're going. And I think that's always a challenge for leaders. And I think this also speaks to the importance for organizations of supporting their leaders to know more about how to speak about mental health, about how to show vulnerability and equally helping leaders to understand how to ask questions properly, because I'm sure every leader is guilty of at least on one occasion starting a call and going straight into the topic that you're due to discuss as opposed to asking and checking in with the other human being on the call how are you you know is there anything i can help you asking about that person's life outside of work because we can sometimes let busyness get in the way of the humanity i remember this quote from college from a teacher there are two things you can share without giving up anything of your own you can share it indivisibly that is knowledge and that is friendship and together, that is fellowship, right? That's community. That is a sense of belonging. We're giving and sharing, and it makes the whole world better and more peaceful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it goes two ways, doesn't it? It's like we must look to those who lead us with compassion, and we must lead those people as leaders with compassion. And that then allows the space for the humanity to come in. And for, yeah, the notion of servant leadership, it's creating followership. You know, it's not dominate, it's not command and control. That's another evolution, I think, as well. Now, on this season's theme for the podcast, season four is about innovation. And a lot of what we've been talking about create the seeds for that. I wanted to point your um, thinking to how we can innovate against the status quo to make the world even better. Because I know that your theme, one of the taglines for your global platform, Unmind, is a cultural change platform. How can we do this? So I think it pulls a lot of the themes together. And I think innovation is so critical in mental health care. I've personally managed waiting lists in National Health Service, waiting lists in the UK. I know only too well how there are not enough clinicians to service people with health problems, let alone to do proactive care. But when we really think about what is the relationship between mental health and the culture of an organization, we can use innovation in thinking and in technology to enable this, which is organizations need to 
take a whole person approach to understanding the individual and the individual needs to be empowered to proactively manage their health as part of their working life so focus on the I but that individual also especially with our leaders as well need to be thinking about others so we need to get each individual to think about the we how can we as a collective support one another so how can we bring in those points around psychological safety about listening to one another etc so think about the other person so we think about ourselves as the whole person we think about the other person as the whole person as well so i and we and then critically we must also recognize and you've touched on this with leaders that each person has a different degree of influence in an organization so we must also think within a hierarchy what is the role of the leaders in speaking openly in promoting good approaches to well-being and health in a culture that will enable the i to look after themselves well that will encourage the eye to look after the other well so it's really thinking about the individual about the collective and then about the leadership and ensuring that we're taking that proactive approach to health and well-being across all three let me play a hypothesis with you nick this notion that at the top there is some acceptance that things have to change we have to lead from the top unmask the ceo we need to be authentic we need to create a culture that we can be proud of and then there is the newer generation of very optimistic confident younger generation workers who get this they want change sooner. The challenge that I see in some of these activities and opportunities ahead of us is the middle of the companies. They're kind of dealing with legacy approaches, behaviors, all these silos, matrices, geographies, and they're being given all this new workload. Do you have any thoughts on where in the organization we need to really focus our attention? Yeah, I think when it comes to mental health and well-being, we must continue with measurement because that's how we understand where the real needs and opportunities are. Measurement's key. But then specifically to your question, anyone who manages people, we must double down our energy to support those people because they are ultimately the guardians of your most valuable asset, which is your people. So how can we empower managers to know how to better support the mental health of their teams to elevate their teams to flourishing? So I think a big piece we can do with managers is help them to to learn to listen better because by listening we create psychologically safe spaces where people can speak openly about how they're actually feeling so that group that middle group is key i love your notion of the direct supervisor mentor coach team leader is so critical to your professional life and career path but also your mental health right do you feel accepted are you heard do you feel like you're getting challenge and curiosity and innovation opportunities and there's another quote that i'm reminded of which said that you don't leave bad companies you leave bad managers and these companies are so sprawling right? and they're so challenged and having that high consistent quality of day-to-day -day leadership people leadership as you put it is so difficult for any leadership team to get right it's so difficult, isn't it? But you know what I often think about? So I spent years and years studying psychology. I did my undergrad degree. I did my doctorate. I've done many courses in between. I've done lots of practice. I've lectured at universities. I'm embedded in that world. And yet still, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling suicidal or I'm really not in a good place, I still find those conversations hard. I still find I can be anxious in those conversations. And that's with all those years of experience. So we must remember that in asking our people managers to be equipped to have conversations with mental health that's not going to happen unless we 
as organizations provide the right level of support to those people. And this isn't about training everyone to be a mental health first aid, but this is about making sure everybody understands the core pieces of mental health and recognizing as organizations that it's not good enough to say, well, once a year, we're going to put you in a room for two hours and tell you about mental health because people won't remember it. We need to make this continue the same way we brush our teeth every day. Managers should be continually thinking about the mental health and well-being of their teams because that's the most important thing they can be doing is to help their teams be well. And there's never been a more important time, therefore, for organizations to double down on the investment of the mental health and well-being of their people. Well, this has been a marvelous exploration of the linkage between the mental health opportunity culturally, the role of leadership, as they all link to this notion of joy at work and being able to innovate for the future. I want to give you a last, the last word on this, though. So what, what changes make you hopeful about the future of joy at work? I think that everybody who's been involved over this past period in the transformation of mental health, the way it's being able to be spoken about more today than it was yesterday, the investment that we're seeing today we didn't see yesterday, the commitment we see today we didn't see yesterday, that is wonderful. And that is a real testament to the hard work everybody has put in. For me, the greatest driver probably on this as a topic is I don't want my children to grow up in a world where they can't talk about their mental health. And we as a generation have a responsibility ability to ensure that there is no longer stigma for the people coming into the workplace to talk about their mental health where we put mental health where it really deserves to be which is nurtured and celebrated and that's the opportunity we have as a generation but we've done an awful lot of good in terms of the progress we've made already and i'm very optimistic about our ability to see this through very inspirational nick thanks so much for joining us today thank you so much and i'm excited to share that my new book Joy Works is coming this fall. I cannot wait to share this deeper exploration of joy at work with you. Joy Works is available for pre-order now wherever you buy books. Joy at Work is produced by Carney, a global management consulting firm. We help our clients reach their full potential and find the way forward during uncertain times. We're inspired by Fast Forward, Carney's breakthrough business builder. Fast Forward works with leaders across the globe to inspire new business models that enhance stakeholder value and accelerate tech-enabled growth. Learn more about the show and about our innovative work at carney.com slash joy at work. And if you enjoyed this show, please check out the other shows in the Carney Podcast Network, including Inside the Mind, Carney's consumer practice leaders uncover how and why people shop today. What does our new consumer behavior mean for the future of the retail industry? And on Supply Chain Shocks, our operations partners explore how supply chains are transforming in order to meet new demands and constraints. <laughs>